Let's turn uh, to Nehemiah, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Thinking this morning about opposition tactics. Uh, I'm not really into politics that much, but I heard a little bit on the radio the, the other day about the, the new government, and they were discussing um, Fianna Foyle's uh, role in opposition. And, and although they're in opposition, they, their support was necessary to form the government. So what will their tactics be? They can't blatantly uh, oppose every uh, motion that the government brings forward, because that would bring down the government. And the people that were discussing it were saying, well, the government are going to have to, their strategists are going to want to know the opposition tactics. They're probably going to second guess on everything. And, you know, who knows, probably nothing will end up happening. Uh, but they want to know the opposition tactics. Well, why are Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6 in the Bible? It's just a record of history. Well, it is a record of history. But they're there, they're recorded for us so that we can see the opposition's tactics. Although it's century 5 BC, and we're in century 21 AD, 26 centuries later, there are important lessons for the church here. The church is involved in an incredible project that lasts into eternity and for all eternity. We are involved. Our great privilege is to be involved in the spread of Christ's kingdom. For 2,000 years, it's been spreading. And we might get discouraged, but I saw a, a great graphic this week, uh, two graphics, one of the spread of the gospel over 2,000 years, and another one uh, showing that in the majority of the world today, the gospel is spreading at a rate that is above, excuse me, a rate that is above population growth. That's just incredible. Yes, there's opposition. Yes, there's difficulty. But the gospel is spreading at a rate above the growth of population. So we're involved in something wonderful. But all of that, we need to hold in mind that there is opposition. It hasn't gone unopposed. And behind all the opposition there lurks a figure. You know, in, in Sherlock Holmes' uh, stories, uh, Holmes says at one point to Watson, behind lots of the crime that goes on in London, there is a mind, a mastermind. And you get to, to see and to understand his ways as you watch it happens. He has a style, uh, like an artist has a style, all his own. And the, the great mastermind, the criminal mastermind in the Holmes stories is Moriarty. Well, we have an enemy. And we need to know his style, his way of working. We've been challenged in Nehemiah to be courageous about our faith. We've been challenged to care as much about God's kingdom as Nehemiah does. But we need to know that we have enemies, not particularly flesh and blood enemies the way Nehemiah had, but behind Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and all the others, there was the shadowy figure of Satan, the devil. And he's still alive and well, and we need to know how he works and acts. Christ has said, I will build my church. Satan can't stop it, but he can oppose. So three things to see this morning. Um, first of all, I want to think of Satan's tactics. And then we want uh, to think of Nehemiah's response. And then we want to finish with 
what God does. Spend most of our time on the first point, uh, Satan's tactics. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, they're repeated attacks. I counted them up. There are 24 separate incidents. Um, that's counting the 10 times the Jews came, you know, Nehemiah numbers it for us, and said to him, um, you know, they kept coming back and telling him, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. Um, but there's 24 separate attacks in the six-month period between the start of chapter 2 and chapter 6, them saying the wall's completed. There's 22 attacks in the 52 days when they're working on the wall. 22 incidents. Um, it's a period of intense, frantic opposition. Not just externally, but problems internally amongst the people of God too. So we shouldn't be surprised if as we seek to serve Christ here and live for him here or wherever God has placed you, that there'll be opposition. But let's see how uh, Satan works. Four strands here. Demoralization. He seeks to demoralize God's people. Aim to destroy our morale, to, to cause us to give up to think that the work's too hard, or to think, what's the point? And look at chapter 4 in verse 1, and you'll see he does it in verse 1 by mockery. He seeks to demoralize the people by mockery. Sanballat ridicules the Jews. Um, and Tobiah joins in with them. They have their whole army there. It would seem to intimidate. But they're not... They're, they're not attacking yet. They're just all these ranks of armed men are there. And uh, Sanballat and Tobiah are up on a platform or in front of the troops uh, saying, look at this, look at this, look at these Jews. And it's personal. These Jews, do they think they can rebuild the wall? Will they build it in a day? Ah, it's just heaps of rubble. You know, <laughs> Tobiah, who's not quite as humorous, he's the... The slightly inadequate sidekick, the support act says, oh yes, even a fox would knock it down. Oh, good one, Tobiah. Um, but all that taunting one on top of the other, it just gets you down. And we see that today. There's the vocal atheists, Richard Dawkins, and just anybody on Facebook that wants to have a go uh, at Christianity, uh, open the newspaper, there'll be somebody having a go, there'll be somebody on the radio having a go. It could be a, a teacher in school uh, mocking uh, some aspect of Christianity or the Bible being a load of fairy stories. It could be students in school or college that uh, are just opposed to it and think it's rubbish. Um, generally, that whole atmosphere can get you down. You know, it's maybe not targeted at you, but it's always going on and, and you're hearing it and it's there and it's wearing you down in your faith. It could be at the mart, just hearing the talk of people about Christian values and moral standards. And you think these things mean something to me, they matter to me, and you're dismissing them as being fuddy-duddy and ancient and old and irrelevant. What one writer calls sneer pressure. The withering glance, the, the, the inaccurate label, homophobic. We're not afraid, and we don't hate. And the intolerance of people who want us to be tolerant. Um, 
Or sometimes it's really focused and it's you they're having a go at. They don't like what you believe and what you stand for and they're picking on you. Same old, same old. That's Satan at work. That's what he does. And mockery plays on our insecurity and our self-doubt and particularly, well, for all of us, but especially for our young people, that fear of being left out, that fear of uh, being on the margin and the, the group of people, your friends even, doing this and, and you don't want to be left out. It, Satan plays on that to discourage and demoralize you. But also part of demoralization is tactics you see in verse 10. Uh, verse 10, the people in Judah, this is, this is, the, in, this is the people who are inside the, the family of God's people. They're discouraged. And verse 10 in, in Hebrew actually is, in, is, is a poem. It doesn't look like it in English, but it's a poem. Um, and one writer says it's as if they're singing the blues. You know, they're building the wall and they're singing a song about how hard it is and how it's never going to get done. You know, just discouraged believers. They've already been brought down. They're, they're, they're filled with negativity. And seeping negativity amongst God's people. Satan loves it. He loves it. So that's one of his, his tactics, demoralization. Second one is danger. Danger. On into chapter uh, 4, and we find verse 7 that they're surrounded. Chapter 4, verse 7, uh, we read of Sanballat. Uh, he's um, to the north in Samaria. Uh, Tobiah um, is, is the Namanite official. He's over to the east. The Arabs are to the south, and the men of Ashdod are to the west. And they've gathered an army. And then we read further on down that section that they're going to come and attack. Verse 8. Here's physical threat. Danger. They're scaremongering. They're, they're leaking their plans. Verse 12. So that uh, people will be coming and, and telling about the, the threats and the danger over and over again. Here's one of Satan's strands of attack. We see it in the Bible. We see it in history. We see it today. We see it with Islam um, attacking uh, the people of God. But not just our lives being at risk, but our livelihoods being put at stake. That was one of the big things in the New Testament church. The early believers that Peter, Peter writes to and that Paul writes to in Corinth aren't so much at risk of losing their lives at this stage, but at risk of losing their livelihood, their jobs, their income. And how do they support their families? And we see that today. Christian businesses um, being put under pressure. Christian individuals going to lose their jobs. Um, a nurse losing her job for inviting a colleague uh, to a meeting, a church meeting. Um, that's threat. That's danger. Uh, it's not necessarily physical danger, but it's the same sort of, it's putting an aspect of our livelihood at risk. Endangering our income so that uh, we, we, we're liable to, oh, well, I'll just not say anything. Um, or it could be bullying at school. This is how Satan works. Um, there have been ministers who've been arrested for reading the Bible in public. The ministers put in jail in Canada for preaching. Physical threat, 
danger. His third tactic is to divide. You know, you read through chapter 4, think, wow, there's so much going on by way of opposition. And then you come to chapter 5, and you're thinking, Nehemiah, did he just have his head in his hands going, oh, come on, boys. There's enough going on from out there without us tearing each other apart in here. Come on, people, let's hold it together. You know, and what's happening in chapter 5 is that God's people, the rich, are exploiting the poor. There, there are people who, um, they're coming to work on the wall, so they're not able to be at their own farm to do their farming, and they're not able to sustain themselves, and they don't have the supplies of grain, and uh, then they're, they're, they're maybe in debt, and they're putting their family into slavery to pay off debts, but there's a whole racket going on, and they're being exploited. In the American War of Independence, there was something like this. The, the American troops... Uh, were starving, their, their uniforms, their clothes were threadbare, there were supplies available, but fellow Americans were flogging them to the British at 800% profit, while their own people who were fighting for their freedom were starving and wouldn't sleep at night in case they didn't wake up, in case they would freeze to death. That's something like what's going on here. You imagine Nehemiah going, just, man, come on. We're, we're in this together. What are you at? And that's what Satan loves to do. He loves to get in and to divide God's people. He sows seeds of resentment and frustration and anger. And if he can take a church and he can look at, he, he, he look at the natural fault lines that are already there between the rich and the, the poor between the haves and the have-nots, between one cultural side and another cultural side, uh, between, well, you know, in Ireland, he doesn't need to look too far for, for, for fault lines. They're all over the place. And that's what he'll seek to exploit, to cause the church to be divided, divided into groups, divided into you know, people taking offense at each other. We've actually seen that in our own denomination over the past uh, three years. Our synod has wasted countless hours uh, seeking uh, to resolve silly disputes. Satan's tactics. Seeking to divide us. Us as Christians here. You as Christians in your church. Us from each other. Us from other Christians in our community. Satan likes to divide Fourth strategy of Satan, we've had uh, demoralize, danger, divide. And the fourth one, I'm stretching a bit here, decapitate. Just gave you four Ds to make it easier to remember. Decapitate. What's he doing in chapter 6? He's trying to take out Nehemiah, the leader, the head. He's trying to take him out. Um, and he, It's relentless on Nehemiah. Successive attacks, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, there's this intrigue and trickery. Four times they say, come and meet with us in this neutral territory. It'll be okay, honest. We've just got an army between here and there, but it'll be okay. Uh, chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, there's political trouble being threatened. There's an open letter uh, 
is, is sent to Nehemiah, and literally an open letter. We talk about an open letter being something that's in the press uh, for all to read, but in Nehemiah's time it was literally an unsealed letter, and anybody along the route could read it. And you can imagine the delivery man bringing, going, oh, I've got to take this to Nehemiah, you know. Uh, if you want to have a look at it, you can. And uh, all these scurrilous lies are in this letter. The equivalent of, of putting it in the Irish Times and saying, on the letters page and saying, you know, well, you know, the government, if they get wind of this, you know, you're going to be in severe trouble. Well, how could they not get wind of it if it's in the letters page of the Irish Times? Well, that's what they're doing to Nehemiah. And then in verse 10, uh, we didn't read chapter 6 and verse 10, but uh, they, they've got an insider in the temple who is, tries to get Nehemiah, who's not a priest or a Levite, to come and to hide uh, on fear of threat of his life from the outsiders, to come and hide in the temple to seek refuge there. He wasn't allowed. He wasn't a priest or a Levite. And he would have discredited himself amongst God's people the way King Uzziah did um, several hundred years previously. All of this is targeting on Nehemiah. All honed in on him. And Satan works that way today. He seeks to take out leaders in the church, Christian leaders. And over the last number of months, a number of men, particularly in the States, have been removed from their ministry for various failures. They've been discredited in terms of their moral standing and behavior. Satan has targeted them. Ministers, elders, our own denomination, have had to remove a minister and also an elder in the last number of years. We could point the finger at those men, but behind it all, surely, we have to see Satan at work seeking to remove leaders in the church. But Nehemiah is not a minister. He's just an ordinary believer who's got drive and influence. So it's not just ministers. It's ordinary Christians who in their sphere have influence. Satan will seek to target and to, to remove and to neutralize your influence. You could be a, a key Christian in your workplace because you're the only Christian in your workplace. And Satan will seek to discredit you in some way. Or you could be a key Christian in your family. And Satan will seek to nullify your influence. Of course, our own families know us best. They see our flaws. And Satan will seek to maximize those. We've got to be on our guard. You could be a, a key Christian at the mart. You could be a key Christian in your class. Maybe the only Christian that your, your friends at school know. Watch out. Satan wants us to lose our distinctiveness. Jesus talks about where Christian is to be salt and light. Satan wants us to lose our saltiness and to dim our light. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. And look how he seeks to do it here. He targets Nehemiah just with nagging. Nagging pressure. Same thing day after. Oh, come and meet us. Come and meet us. Come and meet us. Come and meet us. And then a different approach. Something else. And you see Nehemiah being worn down. Watch that all that goes on. All the stuff that is against God's word doesn't just wear you down. And then he seeks to isolate 
Nehemiah. To isolate him. And you'll feel isolated at times as a Christian. The only Christian maybe in your school or in your workplace. And you'll feel isolated. Remember, that's part of Satan's plan. Remember, you're part of a great family here. Family of God's people. Remember that. You're not on your own. They seek to discredit you. They'll seek to nullify your influence, to remove the head, the, the Christian leader, as it were, in, in whatever sphere God has placed you in Satan's tactics. Decapitate, divide, endanger, and demoralize. We've spent far too much time on those. Let's look at Nehemiah's response. And I don't know. I don't usually have alliteration, but we have this week. We've got four Ps. Prayer. Prayer. He just prays all the time, this man. Chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. We've got a prayer recorded. Chapter 4, verse 9. But we prayed. Chapter 5, verse 19. He's praying again. Chapter 6, verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Chapter uh, 6 and verse 14. He's praying again. Over and over again, he's praying. Nehemiah realizes that the issue and the battle are bigger than him. They're not only, they're not about him. They're about God's kingdom. It's not about you. Satan would seek to discourage you. Because there is a bigger issue at stake. The honour of King Jesus. So look, let's pray. Pray for yourselves as you see Satan attacking. Pray for each other. So that we don't end up with any divisions here. Pray for each other so that each other will stand strong where God has placed us. Pray for Christian leaders. And ask for prayer. There's a great bit in chapter 4 where they're, they're all armed and they're, they're carrying on the building work. And Nehemiah uh, says to them, Look, if anything happens where you're working, sound the trumpet. Sound the trumpet and we'll all come to help. If you're struggling... Don't struggle alone. Sound the trumpet and we'll come and help. And we'll be praying and we'll give whatever other help we can. Prayer. Second P, perseverance. He just keeps going. I love chapter 4, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall. <laughs> That's the response. That's just the best response to discouragement and to uh, anything that's seeking to pull you down in the Christian life. Batter on. Batter on. Satan wants you to give up. He loves half-built walls because they're monuments to disheartened Christians. They're monuments to disheartened Christians that he can point at to others and go, look, ah, that didn't get done. Yeah, yeah, that got abandoned. He loves it when we give up. Don't give up. Young people, don't give up in your faith whenever pressure comes on. Don't give up. Hang in there. Persevere. Persevere in following 
your school, persevere in following in your family, persevere in following in your workplace, keep at it. Persevere. Third P, practical steps. Nehemiah took practical steps. He told some of the men to wear their sword. He had some of the men carry their sword. Um, he had men on duty, guarding. He had a man with a trumpet uh, who stayed with him so that he could sound the alarm whenever uh, they would be attacked. He takes practical steps in chapter 5 to sort out the financial difficulties. Um, wise practical steps. When Satan wants to lure us into sin, don't just say, I'm not going to do it. Take practical steps to remove yourself from scenarios of temptation. Make it practical. Um, struggling with your Bible reading. Take practical steps to get help. Ask other Christians to walk with you, even to, to pray for you, to, to talk with you about what you're reading. Are there interpersonal difficulties? Let's take practical steps to deal with it. Let's deal with issues. Are we maybe not being lured into to sin, but we can be lured into wasting time? Take practical steps to deal with that. Um, switch off your phone. Disconnect from Facebook for a while. Say what Nehemiah says in chapter 6, verse 3. Just a great response for those like me who perhaps get too sucked into to the web. Um, chapter 6, I am carrying on a great project. I can't go down to meet you. Whenever you're sucked into something that you think, no, this is taking me away from a Bible reading. This is taking me away from prayer. Say to you, I am involved in a great project. I don't have time for this. Practical steps. Fourth practical step, personal godliness. It oozes out of Nehemiah. Prayer, perseverance, practicality, and personal godliness. Personal godliness guards us. Nehemiah chapter 5. He forgoes all his rights as a governor so that he can serve God's people sacrificially. He won't go into the temple to save his own skin. He wouldn't sin. He would rather face the prospect of dying than to disobey God. Personal godliness. It guards us. Keep clear from sin. Work on growing in grace. And you will be guarded from Satan's tactics. Four responses. Prayer, perseverance, practical steps, and personal godliness that Nehemiah did and that we can do. But it would be wrong to, to stop there because that would keep the focus on us. And very briefly as we finish, I want us to see thirdly, first of all, there's Satan's tactics. Second, Nehemiah's response, our response. Thirdly, God's supplies. God's supplies. Take a quick scan over the chapters or think of them as, as, as I go down through this. God gives encouragement in what would discourage us, chapter 4. He gives encouragement in what would discourage us. So we built the wall. All this discouragement. We got the wall. We got the wall up to half the height, Nehemiah says. God gives encouragement. God gives unity in what would divide us. Chapter 5, the people end up stronger. They're together. 
God gives unity. God gives reward. Hinted at in chapter 5, verse 19, where Nehemiah, having given up all his rights as, a, as uh, the governor, looks to God to honor him. God gives reward in what would cost us. God gives strength in what would alarm us. Chapter 6. God gives clarity in what would deceive us. Chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. God gives tenacity in what would exhaust us. God gives success in what would defeat us. Do you get the picture? Nehemiah does his, but he stands and God just pours in the resources that Nehemiah needs. Because if you're following Jesus and you decide, I'm going to stand against the tide of the world, you don't do it on your own. You don't just do it with other Christians. You do it with the resources of God pouring into your life. We thought last Sunday evening, Philippians 4, verse 19. Paul said, My God will supply all your needs out of his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God supplies. That's what you see in chapter 6. Opposition, determination, and a God who keeps the supply lines intact to his people so that they can stand. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you're a Christian this morning, keep on going. Be savvy to how Satan would seek to distract, discourage, demoralize. Let's be savvy as a church how Satan will seek to pull us down as a congregation. But you're involved in something immense. Your God will supply all your needs. Keep standing where God has placed you. Young people, grasp that Christ has already won. Christ has already won. God had sent Nehemiah on a mission to build the walls. They were going to be built. Nehemiah knew it. Convinced of God's ability. And we have an even better scenario because we know that Christ has already won the battle. We know that he's coming back. So we're not wasting our time to follow him. Young people, hold your nerve and know that Satan will do all he can to try and knock you off course from following Jesus, to discourage you. But keep on following him. Keep on following him. And God will supply all your needs. You're not wasting your time. Perhaps you could be here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. You're wondering, should I put my trust? Is this true? Well, look, if it's not true, why is Christianity so opposed? Why has it always been persecuted? Why? Is it just that people don't like it? Or is there something much darker behind the opposition? There's something much darker going on. There's an evidence, a strand of the evidence to the truth of Christianity. It's it's so opposed and always has been. But why should you believe? Because Christ has already triumphed and he's coming back and he's giving you an opportunity to join in the victory 
that's his already. And if you do, you will find that he will supply all your needs for every step of the way. Let's come to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these passages of ancient history that unpack for us the enemy's tactics. We think of the the code breakers in World War II and how they had the Enigma code broken and how they knew where the U-boats were going to attack and what was going to happen. They were able to thwart the attacks of the enemy. And here we are with the code book of Satan broken as it were. We know how he operates. And we thank you that you show us how we should respond as well. But above and beyond all that, we thank you for two things. We thank you that our king and our captain has already won the battle. And we thank you that he supplies all his troops need so that they will be willing in their day of battle. Father in heaven, help us to stand. Help us to stand together. Help us to stand united. Help us not to be discouraged. Help us as we stand in our various places where you've put us as Christians of influence. Help us uh, to stand firm there, Lord God. And Father, we pray that you would help us not to fear the taunts, the mockery, the discouragement, even the things that would endanger our lives or our livelihood. And let us see you working through us and around us as Nehemiah did. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.